everybody. Welcome back to Cosmic Soup. Glad you joined us today because you know what? It's our last podcast of the year. I know, I know, you're sad because you've carved out a permanent place in your heart for our little show, and you're afraid that nothing else will fill the void. Understandable, but don't worry, we won't be gone long, and we're going to leave you with piles of amazing information that you can use to get you through the holidays and start out the new year with a bang. So now that we've got y'all pumped up, let's deliver on that promise. We thought we'd close out the year by talking about the uber exciting world of the microbiome. Yes, I said it, the microbiome, as well as the mind-gut connection and those amazing superfoods to help combat those nasty viruses like COVID-19 and influenza and help you boost your immune system to new heights. And to do that, we've got three epic guests for y'all today. So joining us in the soup is professor of audiology and neuroscience, Dr. Kelly Tremblay, registered dietitian, Randy Sater, and of course, the one and only organic gardener and foodie extraordinaire, Cynthia Thurlow-Kruber. Hello, ladies. Glad to have y'all here today. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. Glad to have you all here. I'm excited to talk about this. And I know that people are like, oh, wow, you know, microbiomes and mind gut connections and all that stuff. You guys are piles of excitement. But I'm telling you, this is important stuff. And it's the perfect time of year, I think, to really leave people with some things to think about as they get ready for, you know, how they're going to maybe change things up in the new year. And as of course, we all know, COVID has kind of affected everything in the way that we go about our daily routines and, you know, what we eat and how we shop and what we do. So, I think it's relevant and I think it's good information and all of you are experts in your own right to do with food and, you know, things like that. So I think we have assembled the perfect power squad of awesomeness with the three of you here. So, uh, so I'm excited. So here we are the middle of the flu season with a crazy pandemic. The restaurants are operating on limited capacity. Grocery stores are not as well stocked as normal. People are struggling financially. And I'm sure that many people, the choices that they're making in regards to like their meals is probably, you know, not the healthiest or well thought out. So Dr. Kelly, let's just start with you. Could you kind of give us a rundown then on what is this crazy microbiome that I've talked about? What is the mind gut connection? And, you know, maybe you can share some recent stats on COVID and the long-term care industry. And before you do that, Maybe you could even tell us kind of how it's affected you and, you know, what you've uh, prepared for meals and what kind of stuff you're eating and how has it affected your your habits? Okay, this really is a cosmic soup, right, Mike? We're covering everything in, uh, in, in one answer here. So help me out in case I forget any of those important questions. So. Um, so what is the, the mind-gut connection? What is microbiota, microbiome? And... Um, and let's just think back to what we were what, what we were raised to think. We are what we eat. We are what we eat. So be mindful of what we put in our mouths because it's feeding it's feeding our organisms. It's feeding our system. It's akin to the oil and the gas that runs the car, right? Um, and even though I'm a neuroscientist, much of my specialty involves in how our body takes in sensory information from the world, whether it's light or sound, and and. I never really took so seriously that I really am what I eat as either. So I, in the last year, um, have, have, you know, really become interested in understanding this microbiome contribution. And I'm going to give you my cliff notes, even though I'm a neuroscientist, I'm not a, I'm not a specialty in this area, but um, that's okay. I think it's really important that we even understand the, the cliff notes version. And so 
when we think about gut, you know, what we're referring to here is microbiome that exists um, and, and it refers to the microbes in our intestines. And so each of us has a, a unique network of microbiota in our intestines that is, you know, partly determined by our DNA, partly determined by um, exposure, through, you know, during during birth, when we're when we when we pass through the birth canal, through our breast mother's milk. All of these things contribute to these organisms that that live in our intestines and these microbiota stimulate our immune system and they play a really important role in breaking down and uh, food compounds and um, processing vitamins and amino acids and things like that. Um, so when we think about um, when we ingest food and we metabolize food, our human metabolism encompasses like a combination of microbiome and human enzymes that that break down our food. So the idea here is is that the nutrients in those foods then becomes ingested and becomes part of our chemistry um, that helps you know signal uh, you know how to you know how to how to regulate various organs in our body. It it helps regulate um, the neurochemistry underlying human behavior. Um, So it's, it's no surprise then that gut microbiota um, has been known from science to influence brain function and of the way that our central nervous system operates and our central nervous system operates everything. So everything from depression, um, our mood and, and our susceptibility to disease. So that's why the mind gut is really important and we really are uh, what we eat. So um, and just as just to set us off so I don't forget, um, it's it's really become a hot topic. And so you can think about when you go even to a grocery store or something, you can see your option to buy um, probiotics nowadays or things like that. And it's really sometimes hard to separate out the fact versus the fiction and what's just being marketed and sold. And so if anyone is really interested in becoming um, informed and making informed decisions, then um, go to the National Institutes of Health website And they launched this amazing human microbiome project. So it's HMP, human microbiome project. And then you can dig a little deeper than what we're talking about today to get more of those facts that you can know. How have your habits changed, uh, you know, in in regards to with that knowledge, you know, what you're eating and have you had to adapt your daily routines uh, because of, of COVID or even just this the season that we're in? Yeah, it's been a huge change for me personally. It was almost like a perfect storm of opportunity um, that grew out of a perfect storm of uh, less than less than opportune uh, uh, experiences as we're all discovering. So normally my life would be being on a plane, traveling uh, to give uh, keynote speeches around the world. And with that, I get uh, sloppy in the sense that I eat out a lot. And as much as I try to make um, informed and healthy choices, you know, the the jet lag and the um, whatever's convenient doesn't always align with that, right? So um, COVID in some way has been really a mixed blessing because I am loving being at home. And being at home allows me the opportunity to, to have more control over what I eat. 
And because we haven't wanted to go out a whole lot, um, we we are doing grocery delivery at home. And again, that gives me a chance to order uh, foods that are uh, whole foods and experiment with cooking. So I have been doing, my kids are just, you know, keep commenting of like, wow, mom food is great. Dad used to cook <laughs> just Costco and whatever frozen food came home from Costco. And so I'm really enjoying playing with this and trying to be uh, more, you know, we're eating mushrooms. But I, I, like I'm ordering four different mushroom sets of mushrooms that I've never, never um, uh, incorporated into our diet. And now the kids are eating them. And that's partly uh, thankful to Cynthia and, and some of the research that she sent my way about um about uh, the science of uh, neuroscience of mushrooms, um, but but in in doing that, um, you know we're eating healthier, and I've also you know taken some courses that help shift my mind from thinking of you know nutrition and diet as a health uh, a, a health approach in the sense it's medicinal. It feels like I'm depriving myself, you know, because I'm in healthcare. As soon as you start to regiment things, it becomes a rule and I become a little overzealous or over anxious about it because I want to, you know, uh, observe best practices and be perfect at it because um, that's who I am. Instead, some of the courses and some of the books and reading, um, I think it really simplified it in a way that allowed me to be more conscientious about what I eat. And I think this is a maybe a good take-home message for our listeners as well, is that I just thought about the microbiome and the microbiota as being like there's good guys and bad guys. And so when I bring in food into my system, I can either feed the good guys or I could feed the bad guys. And um, something as so elementary as that has really helped me uh, attach a mindfulness when I'm reaching with something with sugar, for example, or simple carbohydrates. I'm thinking, Ugh, I really haven't balanced this out with, you know, a legume, a vegetable, you know, a, a, you know, the, the, you know, the amount of greens and things like that, that it needs to really kind of um, help feed the bad, help feed the good guys so that the bad guys don't take over and um, interrupt my, um, my digestion system in a way that um, feeds my body appropriately. So there's so much information out there. And I think that's great. I think as always executing it and implementing it into our lives is where we break down. And so for me, COVID has given me the opportunity to really slow down and uh, be aware of what I'm eating. I'm not perfect. Um, and um, But I do notice that I mean, I have lost a little bit of weight and my sleep is a lot better. And for those reasons alone, I'm loving this and um, we'll incorporate more of the, you know, we're just eating so many lentils and mushrooms and, um, and greens. Um, you know, we, the family's eating um, berry smoothies every day. Um, so all of this is, is good. That's great. And so I think what we'll do is we'll save some of the official stats kind of towards the end of the show. So I'm going to come back to you on that. That's a great segue because you started talking about some of the foods. And so I want to get to Randy here. So Randy, you're a dietitian and your work directly involves food, nutrition, and its uh, effects on the body, especially for people with specific dietary needs. So what kind of foods can we incorporate into our diets that have higher levels of, say, immune-boosting properties or, you know, what kinds of foods should we avoid? Can you kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown about what your experiences tell us about these foods? 
Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, I have to say, Kelly, I love what you said. You are what you eat. And uh, you are the poster child, I think, of what people should be doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, doing um, yeah, with, with COVID and, um, you know, with the, it's, we're in, in the midst of flu season, too. And I think with COVID, a lot of people are forgetting that you can still get the influenza. It's not just COVID out there. So focusing on a healthy diet to build your immune system is still key. And we have to pay attention to that. And I think that um, since we got uh, hit with COVID, a lot of people have gone in the opposite direction and they've reverted back to eating very unhealthy. And I'm hearing a lot of people have actually uh, gained a lot of weight. They call what the COVID-15 I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and it's challenging because uh, our world as we knew it was turned upside down. So what can we do then to get back on track? I think that uh, not um, thinking that you have to make such significant change to your lifestyle uh, I think thinking like that is going to be also a focus because um, if you if you set yourself up to make such you know so many changes, you're just not going to be successful. So what are the small things you can do to stay healthy and to go back on track? And I think that is, uh, first of all, looking at things that you can easily eliminate out of your diet or at least uh, decrease the amount of intake uh, of such as caffeine, such as refined sugars, um, making sure that, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and in the morning, like a cup or so a day, I mean, that's not gonna hurt you. But, you know, having caffeine right before um, bed, you're not gonna sleep well and you're gonna probably think about what you wanna eat next, right? So um, focusing on um, consistently having meals, you know, going back to eating regularly so you're not starving. And then, like I said, limiting the amount of caffeine, the amount of sugars, but um, incorporating uh, a lot of, you know, variety, trying to still eat your fruits and vegetables, like your mom told you. <laughs> and then going back to what Kelly was saying, too, eating a lot of boiled, uh, whole grains and unprocessed food. Um, so, you know, here we have two, I mean, we want to continue to focus on our immune system and with that, you know, incorporating antioxidants and, and, you know, what are antioxidants? Those are the substances that may protect your, you know, your cells in your body against free radicals, uh, which may play a, a role in heart disease, cancer, and other diseases. So, um, you know, the free radicals can can actually damage a lot of things and then make you not feel so good. And again, you know, causing cancer is one big, big, huge factor. Uh, so incorporating uh, berries, blueberries, mushrooms, vitamin C rich foods such as um, citrus, um, bananas, and, you know, just eating something that's really fresh and colorful, I think is going to also um, improve your mood. So different things, and then also making sure that you are drinking enough water throughout the day. I think a lot of people, and especially with me working in long-term care too, um, a lot of elderly don't drink enough water. And because they don't have thirst sensation, it decreases with age. 
Um, but um, water intake, having adequate fluids helps flush those toxins out of your system as well. Uh, so then you automatically feel better. Uh, you don't feel as hungry. So you're not reaching for, you know, the cookie. Um, so there's a variety of things that you can do. And, and I think it's just uh, kind of thinking about going back to the basics and not, like I said, changing the world, but paying attention to your salt intake, uh, making sure that you, uh, when you're cooking with, with proteins that you choose the leaner um, types of meat, you know, don't have to have all that visible fat on your steak. You can still have the steak. And then um, the same thing with like even pork chops, you know, the other white meat, as they say. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then incorporating instead of all that salt, you know, using a lot of fresh and even dried herbs and spices for added flavor instead. Um, and I think that can get you a long way. But for me, to me, and what I do is I make sure I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no matter what. And I think about what I'm going to eat, um, you know, throughout the week. So I have foods readily available to me, so I'm not starving, and then I go for um, something that is not so healthy. So, um yeah, so that's my take on that. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, just worth mentioning that that obviously, you know, you can't be like, oh, I ate a salad today. Look at me, I'm going to lose ten pounds. It, it's something that kind of a, uh, it's not a one time deal. It's it's something that you kind of have to start thinking about and committing to. But if you do it in small steps, right, it doesn't have to be all at one time. Like like you had said, Randy, you can start gradually, maybe either phasing things out or reducing the amount. So it's not like today I'm going to eat, you know, four cheeseburgers from, from my favorite fast food joint. And then tomorrow I'm going to have a salad and, you know, all of a sudden everything's fine and dandy and my system is purged of all of its nasty toxicity. It's something that you kind of have to start building towards, but, but it, it doesn't have to be a complicated process. It can be as simple as, you know, trading one thing for another, or, you know, maybe, you know, not eating, uh, you know, you mentioned eating throughout the day, right? Having small, healthy snacks that are available rather than eating, you know, one time at the end of the night and then you go to sleep and all that stuff just sits in your gut. Yeah, exactly. And then getting up and moving around too. I know it's hard with everyone working from home and, and sitting in front of the computer, but just uh, making that conscious effort to to get up every hour and walking around, even if you get up and stretch, uh, that helps a lot too. And it makes you feel better overall. Um, yeah. And just, uh, yeah, putting that as, as part of your routine, your day, and then after, before you know it, it becomes, you know, just it's on autopilot. And have your habits changed uh, over the course of the last year? I mean, I know that being in the industry that you're in and, and kind of this information is always at the forefront of your mind, but have you had to make small adjustments to your own eating schedules or own kinds of food, or have you stayed pretty consistent throughout this whole thing? I have tried to stay pretty consistent, but, you know, having my family, my kids, I had to make a few changes for them. And especially since, you know, we moved from Seattle to San Antonio, um, what I did was um, I actually, you know, had my my kids um, help me plan meals and help pl uh, plan 
snacks that would be available. Uh, so they when with them helping me out and with them putting stuff in the fridge that was ready to go and ready to eat, that really helped a lot too, because they, they were the same way. They're, they were just tired of being home, being doing online school. And um, they were reaching too for, you know, the potato chips and, and various things like that. And, um, and once we sat down and planned together and just having raspberries like washed, you know, you, you get home from the grocery store and you wash your produce right away, I think just is, is really important. And so you put it there, it's, you know, it's so colorful and that's what you want to reach for then. So, uh, you know, and have Having those, you know, not just the fruits and vegetables, but, you know, just a little bit of cheese and crackers here and there, you know, um, that too was very helpful and having yogurt and just, I was kind of interviewing them about, you know, what are your food preferences? Can we take a step back? And, and I guess I haven't done that. So uh, once we did that, I mean, that actually helped tremendously. So they're making better choices as well as oh, a result. That's awesome. Well, Cynthia, let's let's get your take on this because I've known you for a long time and you've always been at the forefront of things like organic gardening and and locally sourced and seasonal things. So let's let's get your kind of thoughts on all this then. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, I number one, I want Randy Sater's jeans because she's so thin. I don't know what you eat, but I think you could make the Randy Sater diet and I would follow it. Um, and, um, but I think of the, my immune system, like if they were, I think of them as my friends, these cells that go out and they attack invaders. And if I were going to send them out, pack their little backpacks with the equipment they need to do their jobs, I think of it that way. And, and so then I think of, I want them to have the omega-3s. Um, you know, I want to, so I eat like wild fish, only wild, salmon, black cod, kind of the oily fish. I just love those. And walnuts. Um, I eat a lot of nuts, actually, like pumpkin seeds. And then I, I think of food like, it really is, you know, that bird song to everything there is a season. <laughs> so I, I think seasonally um, eat the foods. I, th- I believe in that there's a reason that um, the foods come into season at each time of the year and it makes sense. So in the winter, we're eating cruciferous vegetables and, and those are very good for your immune system. And um, they actually have a lot of vitamin C, which makes a ton of sense. And then I think of my um, plate as sort of a rainbow. I focus a lot on what are the colors on my plate? You know, the reds for beets, um, purples, like the purple cabbage, yellows and greens. And then I also think in ratios of if I'm looking at my plate, three quarters of it should be vegetable content and then um, maybe a quarter or a third is protein and carbs and granted okay I don't always eat that way I fall off the wagon and um, sadly it does not make me thinner (laughs) I still have the COVID-19 mine's the COVID-19 but um, yeah I mean that's how I think of it I think you know I want to equip my immune system with what it needs and I think of you know translate it translating that to the senior living industry and certainly culinary coach that is our focus is to help senior living organizations deliver 
the best um, the best possible foods to their residents, which gives them a much better shot at not succumbing to you know a really bad flu or a COVID um, infection that becomes you know lethal, which would be awfully sad. So. Regarding the senior living industry, we're all, we all work in the senior living industry. Um, You know, Randy, you're a registered dietitian. Kelly, you have a focus on on aging and health. And, um, you know, Mike, you and I are working in the culinary coach and um, have a, a keen interest in helping the industry to evolve their dining habits. And sometimes when we are going into communities and evaluating them, we're finding foods on the shelves that are highly processed, like frozen lasagna or soup-based mix that actually has more than half your sodium allotment for the day, or synthetic oils that are being used in lieu of butter. So I think there are some really basic shifts that I would love the senior living industry to adopt that would just, you know, make everybody's life better and, and it would make them more successful. Yeah, that's, that. it's a hundred percent true. And some things, you know, that, that you and I have talked about many times, uh, you know, things that are, you know, like I, I want to, I hit my head in, in awe about the fact that, you know, they will take something like a, and serve a, a frozen carrot. And I'm like, and carrots are so cheap. Like, why would you spend more money for a frozen carrot than you would for a fresh carrot? It is just kind of the idea behind it. But, you know, things like that, it's a huge misconception. Butter, for instance, um, butter sometimes gets a, a bad rep for, you know, having properties that may or may not be healthy. But I'm like, if you get some nice organic grass fed butter and you eat it in moderation, it's going to be better for you than, you know, super processed oils or, or things like that. So, you know, it's, 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 it comes from a source that you can track easily, you know, cows, milk, things like that. So yeah, it's just kind of changing the way that you think about things. And as far as, you know, why, why would you choose a processed food over say a fresh food? It's, sometimes the logic just gets lost in translation. This is easy. It's ready to go. I can have it. And so it even goes back to how you do your personal stuff. Sometimes maybe we get a little lazier. We, we psych ourselves out and think that it's going to take all this time to do this. And it really doesn't. It just means that you have to plan your day a little better. But, you know, when you go to a restaurant and they have a menu, you know, when they're ordering the food for the, for the restaurants or for the communities, they're ordering on a schedule. They know exactly what they're buying, what they're getting in, when it's going to arrive, all of those factors to, you know, to maintain freshness and things. And you can do the same thing for yourself. Like for me, if I go shopping, you know, I'm trying to do things like shop more times a week and not buy one massive, you know, shopping list full of stuff and then bury all the good stuff in the back of the fridge because there's nowhere else to get to it. And then, you know, a week later, it's all bad you know, buy less and just buy it more often. And that way it's fresher. And like you were saying, Randy, just have it, have it accessible and have it available. And I think for communities, that's a huge miss. I I think sometimes that, you know, chefs or culinary directors, they want to have to deal with less deliveries a week. So what they'll do is they'll just order massive amounts of stuff and then they either can't get to it all or, or it just gets, you know, it gets lost because it's piled in a walk-in or a, or a dry storage or a freezer somewhere. 
and it just it doesn't get utilized in in the sense that it should so you know buying less stuff more often is going to help your bottom line more it's going to make sure that you have fresher things available that you don't end up having to special out or toss out because now you're running up against a timeline of things that you just have to get rid of so um, you know, that, that's to me is the, is the number one mistake. I think a lot of people think is I'm going to eliminate the amount of shipments and vendors that I use because it's just going to make my life easier. And actually you're just making more work for yourself because now you have to think about the consequences and the bottom line that you've affected by making those choices and your health. So, um, you know, if you think that, you know, you're going to just store everything in a freezer and pull it out and serve frozen stuff and, and your idea behind it is it's just going to be easier for you and save time. It's not healthy. It's not delicious. It's not creative. And uh, people will notice that stuff, especially in the age of like everybody can watch the food network. You know, people in communities have higher expectations now than they did, say, 20 years ago. Times are changing. People want good food and they deserve good food. So um, so that being said, uh, Kelly, let's get back to you then. What are some current stats uh, about COVID and let's just say uh, health related things for, for the long term care industry right now? Yeah. So as you might imagine, the stats change by the second. <laughs> there's so much we don't know and there's so much we're learning in real time. But what we can say for certain, um, whether you, I'm just thinking of the Wall Street Journal uh, last month had this major headline that said COVID-19 deaths top 100,000 people in the U.S. in long-term care facilities alone. And then there's a study from Johns Hopkins University a little earlier than that that said about 40% of overall COVID-19 deaths um, are tied to long-term care. So so I don't think the, the the ups and downs and the slight tweaks and percentages are going to change the fact that certainly the impact of COVID-19 was felt by our most vulnerable population, and that is our seniors who have, um, by the nature of aging, um, you know, decreased intrinsic capacity to, to fight off um, uh, various viruses and diseases. Uh, their job, their bodies are doing, you know, a working hard um, daily <clears throat> to be able to continue their activities of daily living and to be able to function um, in the world. So, so the, the best that we can, do, the best thing we can do is try to set them up for success so their bodies don't have to work so hard. And so some of the things that we've learned is, um, you know, the renewed or a heightened awareness now about how the various ways that we can promote health and wellness in, uh, in, in these communities and how can we do that. We're talking about food today. So food obviously is one of the most important ways that we can not only um, uh, in, you know, provide ways to deliver nutrients and, and keep our bodies healthy and keep their bodies healthy, but also food is something that brings joy. It brings um, variety to their life. And so, um, and, and if, you know, the case is that they're in social isolation, they may not be able to break bread together, so to speak, in the dining room anymore. So paying a greater emphasis on that, which we have control over, and that is improving 
the the food and um and, and trying to keep people health and healthy and safe is is an important priority. I think the other interesting statistic that um is is circulating right now comes out of um, a recent paper um, uh, from a Harvard researcher, Dr. Kowalski who, um, along with other researchers at Brown University and University of Chicago, um, you know, published a paper that that it was interesting because there's so much blame going on right now in the senior in the senior living industry, and the idea that, you know, shame on you. The, the, the reason why so many people died in these long-term care uh, communities is because they were probably, you know, poor, didn't follow health and safety inspections or they were unsanitary or all of these types of things. And it's interesting that there's converging evidence to suggest that um, there appears to be no relationship between the ratings of a facility and in the COVID outbreak. So there isn't necessarily a way to predict that if there were violations um, that involved food inspection or other aspects of um, uh, inspections, that that would maybe predict that there'd be a COVID outbreak. Um, in, instead, what seems to be uh, the problem is, is that um, because their COVID-19 can be asymptomatic, you've got people walking, bringing it in from the community. And as it enters the, the community, then it spreads, as you know, and, it, and it's contained because people are, are contained to that community. So I think um, trying to understand what you can control and that which you can't, um, I think, you know, what I'm hearing is, is that there's just such a great emphasis on maintaining the high quality of um of safe health and safety standards and sanitation uh, within the, the facilities as best as can, um, and try to um, support the aging uh, systems of people by trying to uh, create uh, engagement for social, you know, social wellness as well as uh, health and thinking of um, food being one of them. It'll be interesting to see, Mike, how this plays out because um, there was another study that was specific to um, California skilled nursing facilities. And in their case, um, they did find a, a relationship saying that um, nursing homes with five-star ratings were less likely to have COVID-19 cases and deaths um, after adjusting for the size of the patients, different demographics of the patients. So, um, it, so we can't make sweeping generalizations and assume that, okay, this, this location in this facility can, uh, can get by with, uh, inexpensive, um, uh, or ignoring, um, interventions that help promote healthy aging. Um, I think the, the blanket statement can be made that, uh, healthy bodies um, and healthy aging can be promoted by healthy actions. And um, there are many w- things and one of them is food. So um, I think we'll see more of that um, as we, as the vaccines roll out and um, the senior living industry tries to understand what happened and what they can do uh, to prevent that from happening again. Yeah. Thank you. Randy, did you want to elaborate or add anything to that? That was a lot of great information, Kelly. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, having worked in skilled nursing um, and in assisted living extensively here, I totally agree with you, Kelly. I mean, um, 
you know, you're only as good as your staff. Uh, so a five-star rated skilled nursing facility, yeah, they, it can be great and they can have no infections or they can have it. It just depends on, it could be one person bringing it in and spreading it to to everyone. But I think uh, now since we've had COVID for so since March, we've learned so much and now we better know what to do in order to uh, prevent the virus from entering our communities. And, um, you know, just to give you an example, um, now what we have uh, gone to is, you know, of course we do all the screenings, um, but uh, we've gone to the extent of uh, having all visitors wear face shields, eye protection, uh, and uh, including, you know, of course the surgical mask and, you know, so full PPE, including um, a gown, uh, because we, we uh, you're right, you know, there's so many positive, asymptomatic positive individuals then that have brought the virus into the communities and that's how it spread like wildfire. So, um, you know, I'm glad that, you know, the county, the, you know, the, um, States are all supporting that effort, and uh, yeah, everyone seems to be on board with it, and and giving communities more control to, um, you know, to limit those that enter the communities in order then to prevent the spread. Because yes, you know, nursing homes especially have been in media now, and uh, that's where we have the most cases. So. I'm glad to hear all of that, and uh, you know that's the only way we're gonna have gonna be able to to curb this and to to uh, prevent it from spreading even further. And then um, having the vaccine come to nursing homes and senior living communities um, as soon as uh, well. Actually, this week I heard I did see on the news that some nursing homes, I think on the East Coast, already have their vaccines. Um, and uh, in San Antonio, um, we are getting vaccines next week. Uh, looking forward to that. I think um, my personal opinion is, you know, if you have no allergies, significant allergies, that I, I, you know, it's highly recommended that everyone gets vaccinated. So it's going to be very interesting to see what that does for our communities and well, the states and the nation, of course, too. So um, yeah, that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an exciting time that we finally have some some things on the horizon. So, uh, you know, lastly, uh, Cynthia, I, I guess to kind of bring this back to, you know, what your specialty is, and, and obviously, the, the history that you and I have with kind of the farming and the, and the farm to table kind of stuff, what we're seeing now in a lot of communities, um, which I'm extremely excited about, and I know you are too, is kind of the advent of these urban farms or these on site farms where they're providing you know, fresh herbs, fresh vegetables as an alternative to having them brought in from the outside. What do you think about that? I'm so excited about it. And I'm seeing it more and more. In fact, um, I was just speaking with somebody from Maplewood Senior Living. They have a complete working farm. I think it's in Danbury, Connecticut. And it's growing food and then delivering into, I think they have five communities on the East Coast. So they're delivering these fresh Um, organically raised foods into their culinary programs. Very successful. And then we also have a client in North Carolina that has a seven acre working farm and um, they're working on a program there, which is super exciting. So yeah, I'm, I think that's the future really is part of um, 
combining the lifestyle aspect of growing food, being outdoors, being on a farm, and then delivering that food into the community for the dining program. I think that's a, a really big potential um, for community concepts that would be very popular. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I think that the 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 idea that, that communities can have access to on-site um, produce is is amazing. And, and you're right, I think it is the future. And while it may not be super prevalent right now, I see the trend going that way. And I, I don't even think I see it as a trend. I just, I see it as a, a movement, as just a common sense thing to have available so that there's no reason why you can't. And once you get to kind of know the seasons and, and what's good at what time, you know, it's it's actually more cost effective in a lot of ways to have those resources available on site um, rather than, you know, just constantly bringing stuff in. And plus, it's just a great, you know, horticultural therapy to, to get people outside and working with the soil and working with the plants and touching it and smelling it and seeing the colors and seeing the results. People really like to get involved on a community level, which I think is is really cool. And, uh, you know, I, Cynthia, I know you're a gardener. Um, you know, my wife, Marsha is, is a gardener. And so we, we try to have, you know, as much fresh stuff as possible. So, you know, I think really the key for everything is, is, uh, you know, like you said, Kelly, you are what you eat, but, you know, be aware just of what you're putting into your body, whether or not it's on a personal level or whether or not you work in a community, you know, you should be aware of, of the properties of the food that you're consuming or the food that you're providing. And I mean, Randy, on your level, the knowledge that a lot of people have to have about these nutrients, especially in, in skilled nursing, uh, where, where there's so many more diets and so many more textures and things that have to be made for people with, with special conditions. I, I just think that knowledge is the key. Know where your food comes from, you know, uh, and on a personal level, if you go shopping, you know, out at the store, you know, get to know when their delivery dates are, get to know when they restock their foods, adjust your schedules if you can to make sure that you're getting stuff as soon as it hits the shelves and that you're not going on Sunday night after a busy weekend and just kind of left with what's left over. So, um, you know, just all of that knowledge about, you know, the food and where it comes from and when it's available I, I definitely think is key. So does uh, anybody else, any of you all have any final thoughts that we want to leave some listeners with? I do. Um, you know, I, there, there are some stats that 90% of type two diabetes can be prevented with diet and activity or moderate activity. Um, 70% of strokes, 70% of colon cancer. Um, and, and so you know, really food is medicine. And, um, I think it's, it's so easy just to eat right. Start out right the first time and then it, you know, have a better shot at not having an illness. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And, and just the more we talk about it, um, and have the discussion, the more motivated we all get to, to make the right choices. And, and that's how this can spread into uh, you know, so many senior living communities and, and otherwise uh, also, you know, in, in our own homes. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that's a wonderful way to, to, to then help uh, change the mindset in people. And maybe I'll add to that by saying, you know, the average age on this podcast is um, we're all middle age. And there's nothing that prevents us from growing older. We are all going to find ourselves 
um, at some point in our lives in these communities or um, growing old. And so if food is medicine, this is an opportunity to also practice preventative medicine. So while we're in our middle age, um, if we can change our habits now, it can change the trajectory and our health as we age. So we can um, increase our chances of aging uh, successfully or healthily and um, hopefully uh, minimize the potential for some of these diseases and improve our quality of life as we grow older. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, I don't consider myself middle-aged, I'm, I'm pretty freaking young, actually. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like Dick Clark. Um, I don't know, maybe that's not the best reference because, you know, <laughs> finally things caught up with him. But uh, anyways, so Randy, uh, Kelly, Cynthia, thank you for hanging out today. I think this has been a really great conversation. I think there's a lot of great information out there. And I think that all these uh, tools that people can use to implement in their daily lives. They're not difficult. This is not super complex stuff. It's just, you know, make a little bit smarter decisions and put forth the effort, you know, come up with a plan, stick to it, dedicate a little bit of time to it, and then modify as you go based off, you know, the results that you're having. But, you know, these are really, really easy, workable steps. So thank you all so much for joining us today in the soup. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Well, there you have it, folks. Some fantastic information, some great ideas to help you be better prepared as you roll into the new year. And we'd like to thank you on Cosmic Soup for hanging out over this last year. It's been truly an honor and a privilege to share this show with you. So that being said, have yourselves a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. And we'll talk to you next year on Cosmic Soup.